People who do need the Lord. That's a perfect song to lead into this. Uh, I saw some of the children, if not all, already go to junior church. Those that did not, children are dismissed to junior church at this time. And I thank Steve for that song to lead us in to this message right now. Um, you know, we've, we've been, I forgot to announce it today, or I don't know if I forgot, but I didn't announce it. But the, um, the, over the last few weeks, we've had these slips in your bulletins for you to fill out contagious Christian moments. In other words, a, uh, acts of kindness. And they're made to be anonymous. They're meant to be anonymous. Anonymous acts of kindness, which we can spotlight in our future newsletters and or bulletins. And we didn't receive a lot, but we did receive more last week, and you can still turn those in, and we encourage you to. What we want to do is encourage the congregation in different ways that you can share Christ's love through acts of kindness. Encourage the congregation that way, and it's anonymous. So I was looking at some on Thursday, and I was very, very, very encouraged. There was one that came from someone who got, uh, went and bought a children's bike and went to the, one of the worst parts of Youngstown, and the most dilapidated house, and went there, and I'm summarizing here, knocked on the door, didn't know who lived there, and presented the bike to them. In fact, if I recall correctly, I don't have it in front of me, recall correctly, as somebody came to the door, they said, I got this bike for you, and a child came up, and they said something like, how did you know? Well, the Lord told me to, and the Lord led me to take this bike to you. You know, we're called to spread Christ's love. We are called to spread the gospel. And, you know, um, a number of years ago, we had a child care and preschool at my last church, at the church I served for six years. And most of the people from the child care and preschool, which was about 110 families, most of them did not attend our church. Most, many did not attend any church. And so we decided I was going to, st we created a survey. We wanted to know some of the ways we could better help these young families. And so we decided to make the survey have legs, meaning I was going to go and meet with the families. And I started meeting with many in my office, some at their house, and went through different questions, trying to find out how we could better minister to the child care families. And I was meeting with one family, wonderful, wonderful family, great couple. They went to, uh, they were both professors, husband and wife, mom and dad, professors at the University of Mount Union, talked to the dad for a couple hours, and they both went to a, a Quaker church, not our type of Quakers, inner light Quakers, which generally, meaning in the 1800s, there was a split in the Quaker movement, and one followed, one group followed the word of God as the, as the answer, and that was the evangelical friends today, us, and the other group followed the inner light. So this, this couple they went to and were very involved in a Quaker church in Salem and as we talked you know I talked to him about apologetics and certain case for Christ books and things like that and he said you know it's very true that that we cannot expect to continue as a church if we're not actually sharing the gospel you know we cannot expect to continue he said some days I think that someday I'm going to be the last one to turn out the lights and lock the door because we're not sharing the gospel over the past six weeks, I have preached and talked about knowing Jesus. Here, I'm going to run it right here, uh, Caleb. And can you just, um, there we go, that's fine. Once you realize that you know Jesus, I hope that you want others to know Jesus as well. You want others to have the same relationship with Jesus that you have. So to begin, today I begin a series titled, be contagious in 2020. I already shared with you, when I started the last sermon series, I had planned to start this series in January, but I really, really felt the Lord's leading that we need to talk about knowing Jesus before we talk about sharing Jesus. We don't 
want to, we don't care to share Jesus if we don't know Jesus. If you don't care about evangelism, you might want to reflect where you are at, where are you at spiritually. Maybe you really don't know Jesus. We talked about knowing Jesus. Last week we talked about John 15, one of the most important passages in the New Testament. John 15, Jesus is the vine, we are the branches. We can only bear fruit when we are connected to him. I once heard this quote, No one in hell is upset that someone shared the gospel with them. Think about it. No one is, we, we think people are going to be upset when we share the gospel with them. Nobody in hell is up there saying, I am so upset with those silly Christians trying to share the gospel with me. You know, why are we so afraid to talk about Jesus with other people? Are we afraid to talk about our children with someone else? I don't think we're afraid. You know, I'd be glad to get pictures and show you my children. I like running. It's a hobby of mine. I would love to talk to you about running stories in, 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 in a few marathons. It's something fun. We like talking about our favorite football team sometimes, unless you're a Browns fan. But that's another topic. Um, <laughs> so, anyways, why are we afraid to talk about... Are we afraid to talk about our job? Generally, if you're making conversation with someone, you say, what do you do for a living? You talk about your job. Are we afraid to talk about our spouse? Hopefully not. Are we afraid to talk about our hobbies? Why are we afraid to talk about Jesus with people? And I think it's spiritual warfare. The devil does not want us to talk about the gospel. And I, I, I made little notes on my notes, and I'm reminded I need to tell you a little disclaimer here. And this is a disclaimer. This sermon in this series might be more preachy. And and I just want you to know I'm preaching it to myself as well as you. I'm preaching it to myself first. We have got to care about the gospel. We've got to care about people being saved. The gospel is about abundant life now and eternal life later. That's John 10.10. 10. Jesus came to give us a life and give us life abundantly. Today's sermon is a survey through the New Testament. I want to show you that the whole New Testament has an evangelism undercurrent. An evangelism undercurrent. Sometimes the New Testament is quite blunt about evangelism. Quite blunt. At other times, it is an undercurrent. But the whole New Testament is about the gospel. The whole New Testament is about the gospel. And there are 27 books and letters in the New Testament. And today, we are going to walk through the whole New Testament. It's a survey of the New Testament. So sometimes I do a workout called high-intensity interval training. It's uh, called Insanity. And actually, I started it in January, and after a few weeks, I thought, this is insane. I'm just going to go back to running. But it's high-intensity interval training. It's, it's, it's meant to raise the heart rate really high, and, and you do stupid things that nobody in their right mind would do. That's why it's called insane. And there's one, it's in, in, insanity pure cardio. You do a warm-up first, and then you stretch. And the warm-up itself is insane, okay? It's through Beachbody. You, you've probably seen their advertisements. And, and then you're stretching. And during the stretch, the leader, who is this, like, ripped and shredded, perfect athlete guy, is stretching. And he says, are you as nervous as I am about this workout we're about to do? Well, that's really encouraging. When the guy who's in great shape is saying, are you as nervous as I am about this workout? All right, so that is my disclaimer right now. This sermon is going to be intense. 
This message is going to be a lot of intensity, really fast, in a short amount of time. There's a lot of Bible in this message, so a lot of content, so fasten your seatbelts. We're going to get going. I have way more slides and way more in the PowerPoint than I usually do, and that's because I have a lot of Scripture, and a lot of Scripture references, a lot of Scripture summaries, and so, again, that's a, that's a disclaimer right now. My theme is the New Testament. The whole New Testament is about the gospel. The whole New Testament is telling us to share the gospel, telling us, commanding us to share the gospel. The whole New Testament is about the spread of the gospel. And my application is be an evangelist. I'm preaching it to myself just like I preach it to you. Uh, you're going to get tired of this subject because it's going to go on till early May. But uh, it's in the whole New Testament to about the gospel. A number of years ago... Uh, we had a men's breakfast, and we joined with three other churches in the City of Alliance, and we rotated speakers. It was Saturday mornings at 9 a.m., just like ours is here. And on one Friday night, I was at home watching a movie with some friends, and I got a text message from another pastor that I knew. The text message said, Steve, are you in season? I knew what he meant. It's a reference to 2 Timothy 4. In 2 Timothy 4, Paul writes, Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. It was their church's job to supply the speaker for the next day. And the man texting me had given the message the previous time it was their job. And on second thought, he thought he probably shouldn't give the message again. He should switch it up. So he asked me to give the message. Usually, when I'm asked to give a message at a different event or last minute, I have enough. I can pull something out of a file and do it. But for some reason, on this particular night, the Holy Spirit convicted me of this theme, that the whole New Testament is about the gospel. And I don't remember when I completed it and wrote this message up, but, a few, but I do know that I gave a message titled, The Whole New Testament is About the Gospel. And a few months ago, I was going through some old files, and, and I found it. And I thought, that fits this next sermon series. So this isn't the same sermon. It's, it's, it's reworked and changed, but it's the same theme. And so that's what we're getting into right now. You know, Tom Rainer shares this. When the preferences of the church members are greater than their passion for the gospel, the church is dying. Preferences are important, but they're not as important as passion for the gospel. I knew a pastor who shared with me, when people come to him with uh, complaints, and, and people in churches never really usually do that, but when people come to him with, with criticisms or suggestions, you know, um, he'll say, is this a preference or is it scriptural? They're both important, but if you're bringing a scripture issue, we got to deal with it. We got to deal with it now. If you're bringing a preference issue, it's a little lower on, you know, on the priority list, okay? Think about it. What preferences are you willing to give up for the gospel? And, and just make something up dumb. I mean, suppose that we knew for a fact that if we met year-round outside, a thousand people would be saved. Would we be willing to say, okay, I'll wear coats and hats and gloves for people to be saved? Suppose that, that we knew that if we put, replaced the pews, this one is more likely in many churches, replaced pews with, with, with chairs, but more people would be saved. Would we be willing to do that? We talk about music a lot. If we knew that we're more likely to reach people with the gospel by changing music, would we be willing to do that? And I'm not suggesting any of this. I'm just saying that I think it's true. When the preferences 
of the church members are greater than the passion for the gospel, the church is dying. Are we passionate about seeing people saved, seeing lives transformed by Jesus? Are we passionate about that? Do we really even care about that? And the, 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 the examples I just gave you, Sometimes they're very true. Churches split over the thermostat temperature. Churches split over the color of the carpet. I, I know of a, a, a church where when they, they would test their elders, the Bible says test the elders, and one thing they would test them for is anger. They were renovating their sanctuary. They were debating about chairs versus pews. The pastor told me, he said, I could care less, really, I could care less. A guy who was being tested to potentially be an elder came in. He said, I have something to talk to you about. He got really heated. He slammed his hand on the desk. There, they have to be pews. It's purely preference, by the way. There's nothing in the Bible. Jesus reclined on the floor. If you really want to do the Bible way, we got to sit on the floor. Preferences, when the preferences of the church members are greater than the passion for the gospel. So the question, are we passionate about the gospel? Would we give up certain things we like in church if it meant more people would be saved? The church's marching orders come from Matthew 28, 19 through 20. It's right here on the screen. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. That's the first book of the New Testament. We're going to go through all 27 in the next three hours. <laughs> I'm just kidding. We're going to talk about the whole New Testament being about those marching orders. If you're a believer here, and you are, if you are here and you're a believer in Jesus Christ, that means that you are here to reach other people with the gospel. You are here to know Jesus. Jesus wants a relationship with you, but Jesus wants you to be part of his army and share the gospel with other people. And I don't know if you realize that. Our churches are filled and have for, have for far too long been filled with people who are gluttonous with everything but passion for the gospel. Gluttony means excess, okay? We think of gluttony about food. We have that. I have that problem, okay? We have the, I have that problem too. But we are gluttonous with excess with everything but passion for the gospel. We are gluttonous about our preferences. We have been gluttonous about our favorite theology, and I love theology, but theology must convict and compel us to the gospel, to share Jesus with other people. We know Jesus. We want other people to know Jesus. If, if our theology and our doctrine does not lead us to want to share the gospel with others, we are stuck in 2 Timothy 3.7, which says they are always learning, but never coming to a knowledge of the truth. Gluttonous with knowledge. We can be gluttonous with good things, but they should, truth should lead us to want to share the gospel with others. For too long we have been coming to great knowledge, but the knowledge doesn't compel and convict us to set the captive free. I say this next statement fear and trepidation. We can even be gluttonous with a desire for the Holy Spirit for the wrong reasons. We're going to read Acts 1 8 in a couple minutes. Jesus says when the Holy Spirit comes, he will empower you to share the gospel. We oftentimes want the Holy Spirit for our secret mystical friend, but we do not want to let the Holy Spirit help us step outside of our comfort zone to share the gospel with other people. If you're a believer in Christ, you are now in the Lord's army. My job is to be a drill sergeant. 
Maybe you don't think about this way. Oftentimes we think the pastor is just a nice chaplain. But the pastor's job is to lead us as a church to fulfill the Great Commission. Imagine a war scene. You're all in the military. All of you. You've been through boot camp. You've done Caleb's type stuff, boot camp drill, things like that. You know, you're all in the military. You're on a rescue operation. People have been taken prisoner. People have been taken prisoner. People are taken hostage. They are taken hostage by the devil, and he holds them hostage in sin. They don't even know that they are in hostage. They're caught in Stockholm Syndrome. They're caught in Stockholm Syndrome. It is your job, it is our job to get them out. We have to rescue them. Once they are saved, they become disciples in order to rescue others with the gospel. That is really what is going on in our world today. We who know Jesus see people every day in our sphere of influence. I'm not talking about going and knocking on doors or preaching at the street corner. People in our sphere of influence who are caught and they're, and they're held captive by the enemy. And we are called to rescue them, to share the gospel with them. Are we doing it? Let's look at other examples of the Great Commission. Mark 16, 15. That's the second book of the New Testament. Means we have like 25 to go. Mark 16, 15. And Jesus said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Second time, preach the gospel. Why did John write his gospel? John 20, 31. John tells us the purpose of his gospel. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that by believing, they, and that by believing, they may have life in his name. John's gospel written so people would be believers in Jesus. They would come to know him. The whole New Testament is about the gospel, but so was the Old Testament. Luke 24, 45. This is after the resurrection. Jesus had gone on the road to Emmaus. The disciples didn't recognize him. Then it says, then he, that's Jesus. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And it's referring to the Old Testament. The Old Testament is about the Messiah too. The Old Testament is about salvation too. And Jesus said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. That's the Holy Spirit. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Jesus knew that without the Holy Spirit, they would just make a mess of everything. So Jesus told them, Don't leave Jerusalem. Until the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You know, even in the Old Testament, God wanted a relationship with people. Jonah, go home and read Jonah. Jonah was the reluctant, racist prophet. And yet God sent him to Nineveh to lead the people of Nineveh to repentance. It's the greatest mass evangelism movement that probably ever happened in human history. Probably 700,000 people saved by the end of the short book of Jonah. God wanted a relationship with people then. He wants a relationship with people now. The Great Commission is in Acts again. Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest parts of the earth. By the way, that's an outline for the book of Acts. Acts is a first church history book. By the end of the book of Acts, they had been to the remotest parts of the earth. They had taken the gospel. The Holy Spirit came upon them in Acts 2. 3,000 or so are saved. That's not even including women and children. Thousands are saved in the rest of the book of Acts. 
The Great Commission. The whole New Testament is about the gospel. The word gospel means evangelion. In classical literature, the word designated the reward given for good tidings. It also indicated the message itself, originally the announcement of victory, but later applied to other messages bringing joy. The word gospel is used 97 times in the New Testament. 97 times. So for the most part, every New Testament letter or book is about evangelism. This, this mission to go and share the gospel with everyone. So let's get into the survey of the New Testament. Matthew's gospel, I already shared the, 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 the Great Commission passage. But in Matthew's gospel, there is a tension focused on in Matthew between an exclusive mission to Israel and the mission to non-Jewish nations. I can give those passages to you later if you want to look them up. According to D.A. Hagner, we cannot take one side or the other on these. Matthew still has a message on target to Gentile Christians reaching the non-Jewish person with the gospel. Additionally, I believe the whole Sermon on the Mount is to point out they need a Savior. Jesus says, you have to be a little better than the Pharisees to get into heaven. Who's better than the Pharisees? No one. They needed a Messiah. They needed a Savior. The whole Sermon on the Mount. Mark's Gospel. Mark writes about the purpose of discipleship as well as maybe to comfort Christians or also to encourage Christians who are reserved about sharing their faith in persecution. Luke. We already read the end of Luke, but Luke and John are the only Gospels that give their purpose. The only Gospels that give their purpose. An orderly account that he hopes will enable Theophilus to know the truth about the things which you have been instructed. Luke is not merely a historical work, but also to confirm the commitment made and instruction received by Theophilus and other Christian readers like him as they joined the movement. Luke clarifies the position of the church with regard to the Roman Empire. There is a Christocentric reading of the Jewish scriptures, extending this to the early church. Luke's gospel is also about reaching the Roman Empire with the gospel. In Luke's gospel, we read this, Jesus opened their eyes to show the Old Testament is about him. John, many suggest that, that this gospel was written as an evangelical gospel. We even... Make John 20, 31 a purpose statement. These are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. That's four books in the New Testament. Acts is all about the spread of the church from Jerusalem to Rome. All about the spread of the church from Jerusalem to Rome. Acts is about what Mark Driscoll calls riot evangelism. Paul comes into an area. He preaches a gospel. A riot breaks out. People are saved. He moves on. Repeat the same thing. Read it. Think about that. It always happens all the way through the book of Acts. They stone him, leave, for, leave him for dead. The disciples come by him. This is Acts chapter 13. He comes back to life. He goes to the next city, preaches the gospel again. To me, I've always thought if I'm stoned and left for dead, I deserve a vacation. But Paul kept on going with the gospel in the book of Acts. What about Romans? Look at the beginning of Romans. Romans 1, 14 through 16. Paul says, I am under obligation, both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So for my part, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Romans, that was the beginning of Romans. That's the thesis statement. Jump to the end of Romans. 
This is Romans 15, 20 and 21. Paul says, And thus I aspired to preach the gospel, not where Christ was already named, so that I would not build on another man's foundation. That's powerful. Paul wanted to take the gospel where they had not heard the gospel. He wanted to use Rome as a staging point to take the gospel to Spain. How eager are we to preach the gospel? First and second Corinthians are written to a church that had been planted and now needed some discipleship. They're much like our churches today. First Corinthians 9.16, Paul says, for, I, for if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of. For I am under compulsion. For woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. Wow. Look at 19 through 23. For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a slave to all so that I might win more. To the Jews I became as a Jew, so that I might win the Jews. To those who are under the law, as under the law. Though not being myself under the law, so that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without law, as without law. Though not being without the law of God, but under the law of Christ, so that I might win those who are without the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I become all things to all men, so that I may by all means save some. I do all things for the sake of the gospel so I may become a fellow partaker of it. Paul was eager to take the gospel and see people saved. Paul knew what it was like to have your eyes darkened and not be saved. So we have 1 Corinthians 15. Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, in which also you stand, but which also you are saved. If you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain... For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, into the twelve. And Paul goes on and on and on about the gospel and the resurrection. What about the prison epistles? We're continuing through the New Testament. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. They're called prison epistles. Paul wrote them from prison. He was in prison, still trying to proclaim the gospel to people. And they are full of evangelical theology. These are fresh new churches, and they needed discipleship. Ephesians chapters 1 through 3 are all about soteriology. That is the theology of salvation. Ephesians chapter 3 is all about this mystery about Jews and Gentiles united. Galatians is all about salvation by grace. All about the gospel. First and second... Yeah. First and Second Thessalonians have a theme of people who have lost loved ones and were worried that they were going to miss the resurrection. So we have First Thessalonians chapter four, verse 16. It says, "For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. That's about the rapture. First Timothy and Second Timothy and Titus are called pastoral epistles. Paul was in prison of some form writing those as well. And they are about building up the church in proper theology for the church's purpose. Proper theology leads us all to evangelism. Proper theology must convict us to evangelism. Look at 2 Timothy 2.10. For this reason, I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen, so that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus and with it eternal glory. Paul is in prison, about to die, about to be beheaded, and he says, I endure all things for the sake of those who will be saved. 
2 Timothy 4, 5, Paul's dying words, do the work of an evangelist. Do the work of an evangelist. Hebrews. Hebrews is about new Jewish believers struggling to live the Christian life in persecution. They start thinking that the old way, the Jewish way, would be easier. The writer is proving that Jesus is greater than Moses, that Jesus is greater than the angels. So we have Hebrews 10, 11 through 12. Every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. That means under the old Jewish system, they couldn't take away sins. But, verse 12, Jesus, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God. It's all about Jesus. James is called the Proverbs of the New Testament. James is making sure that the Christian's works match their belief. First and second Peter, look at 1 Peter 3.15. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. Always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account of the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and respect. That's an apologetic verse. Always being ready to give an answer, that means always being ready to make a defense. It's, it, it's, it's the Greek word apologia, to make a defense of the hope. What is our hope? Our hope is Jesus. We're called to always be ready to share the gospel with people. Always be ready to share our hope with people. 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. Look at 1st John 1, 1 to 4. It's about Jesus. What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands, concerning the word of life. That's Jesus. And the life was manifested. And we have seen and testified and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. These things we write so that our joy may be made complete. It's more about evangelism. Second and third, John are trying to keep heresy out of the church. Then we come to Jude. We're almost done. That's the 26th book of the New Testament. Jude. Jude had turned aside from writing a letter concerning salvation they share to instead write a letter addressing a problem with itinerant teachers, bearing a message that Jude considers incompatible with the apostolic gospel. Jude was concerned that the gospel proclaimed is a true gospel, undiluted, the true gospel in Revelation. In Revelation, of course, we see a prophecy about the things to come, but Revelation is also the transition from the old covenant to the new covenant. There's striking similarities between uh, Ezekiel and the Old Testament in Revelation. There's a transition of, uh, from the law that we could not keep to Christ who took our sin. The whole New Testament is about sharing the gospel. Think about this. Where would you be without Christ in your life? Go home and think about that. Then pray for opportunities to create God's space in your life this week. God's space. I hope and pray that we all have prayer partners and accountability partners. Proverbs 27, 17. As iron sharpens iron, so one sharpens another. Here's an idea. Have somebody to sharpen you, to pray with you, to hold you accountable. Have that person hold you accountable to gospel conversations. I'm not 
I, I think we made, and I'm going to say this in a couple of sermons, but I'll say it now too. We've done a great disservice because we think we're a failure if we don't go through the whole gospel with someone. I'm not talking about that. Somebody might plant seeds, another person's going to water that seed, another person's going to reap, okay? God-based conversations, gospel conversations. This week, tell your prayer partner that you want him or her to ask you every week how many God-based conversations you have had. Now, what is a God-based conversation? I'm going to give some examples. But these are conversations that you would have with somebody who I, I put here as not living the Christian life. It could be somebody who has denied Christ, flat out said that they're not a Christian. It could be somebody that you don't even know, a waiter or a waitress. It could be somebody that, that you, don't, you just don't know if they're saved or not. You're just having God-based conversation. It is not saying that they're not saved. Maybe they need to come back to the Lord. Maybe they aren't saved. But here are some God-based conversations. How are you doing with the Lord? Just ask it. Hey, how are you doing with the Lord? Can I pray with you? People are often open to prayer. How can I pray for you? This is opening, opening up a spiritual conversation. If you're at a restaurant, we're going to pray for our food. Can we pray for you? Opening up a spiritual conversation. You may have many, many, many other ideas of ways to open up spiritual conversations. I just pray that we will all take this seriously because the gospel is a command from Christ. We're called to share the gospel. We don't do it alone. Jesus says, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus says, when the Spirit comes, he will give, we'll be empowered by the Holy Spirit to be his witnesses. Tom Rayner, when the preferences of the church members are greater than their passion for the gospel, the church is dying. What are you most passionate about? Put aside your preferences. The Bible is about the gospel. Jesus wants people to be saved. 1 Corinthians 9.16, I pray that this can be all of our prayer. For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of. For I am under compulsion. For woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. Now, it doesn't have to be preaching. It's just sitting, having a conversation with somebody over coffee. It's just introducing one of your friends with your best friend, Jesus Christ. I hope that's important to you. Hope that's important to all of us. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray, Lord God, that this truly is important to all of us. I pray, Lord God, that we will all care about the gospel and care about leading people to come to know you as Lord and Savior. Lord God, I pray that we will all be led by the Spirit. That we don't go fishing alone. We go fishing with you, Jesus. But I pray, Lord God, we will quit making excuses. And we will start praying for opportunities to share the gospel. We follow your lead, and we share you with other people. Lord God, if anybody here is not right with you, doesn't really know you as Lord and Savior, I ask, Lord, that today will be the day of salvation for them first. That first they know you. They confess they're a sinner in need of a Savior. They repent and turn to you. They believe in you as the only Savior. They trust in you and commit to you. Lord God, we cannot live the Christian life alone. We need your power, your help, your support. Help us this week, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Our closing hymn.